This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research, distributed by Inside HPC. AMD surprises with high-performance GPU. And Fujitsu unveils Teraflop Spark chip. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening to This Week in HPC. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC, Michael, uh, we've got some surprises on the chip side, and maybe surprises in the sense that you know, we talk a lot about Intel and uh, NVIDIA, maybe power to a certain extent, and we've got some other chips out there that maybe haven't had as much news recently, but they're showing us now that they're right in the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we've got... Uh, AMD and Fujitsu announcing or talking about new chips this week. Uh, two two companies that certainly are in the HPC game, but they haven't been very visible lately. And uh, this is all in advance of the Hot Chips Conference coming out next week. So, getting their news out a little bit ahead of time. Why don't we start with AMD? Now, this is on the GPU side more than the CPU side, but suddenly AMD is vaulted into the game and claimed that they've got the performance title for GPUs. Yeah, they've got a new uh, server-side GPU chip that they, uh, they're they claiming is, at single precision, is just above five teraflops, which is a, a little bit above even what NVIDIA has in the current offering, and about two and a half teraflops for double precision, which is, is quite, uh, quite impressive. Yeah, it's that double precision number that I think matters more to most HPC applications. So, you got a two and a half teraflop GPU. Uh, now, this is uh, on the GPU side. It's not not a, uh, a CPU. This is a CI interconnect deal, and uh, you know this is performance that might be a short-lived lead, right? Do we right. expect Maxwell is going to to come up over the top of this soon? Yeah, I would think so. The Maxwell, uh, the new Maxwell version of the Tesla chip for Nvidia, and and even the Knight's Landing chip, which is supposed to be out in supercomputers at the end of the year, they'll pro- probably both be around three teraflops or better. But uh, for now, at least this one is. is a little above, although it's not quite out yet. They're going to release uh, release it sometime in this quarter, which is just uh, you know a month or two away. So uh, we'll have a, at least a performance lead for a short time. Right, available this quarter. We're talking about the AMD S ninety one fifty. It's a Fire Pro S ninety one fifty. The impressive thing to me here is that AMD is really making a statement about being back in the HPC game, back in the supercomputer. Game. You go to amd.com, banner number one on the homepage talks about having supercomputing leadership. Now, obviously, this technology has been in the works for a little while, and it's got other things like ECC that, that you want to see on there. Right. But uh, we haven't seen that high-level management strategic focus on HPC, and I think that's come back into focus in recent months. It's good to see it from AMD. Yeah, I mean, AMD, I think we've talked about they've sort of had an off, on again, off again uh, uh, love affair with HPC, especially on the GPU side. They started with the Firestreams uh, GPU several years ago, and that sort of petered out, and they picked it up with FirePro, but they, they never specifically targeted HPC with any of these chips. But this one, at least, at least in, in the, the press release, they're they're targeting technical computing and HPC for this chip, and and you know a little some of the software they they announced uh, path scale compiler support with OpenMP support inside of that for this chip. So uh, they're definitely making a a point of of uh, offering this as an HPC uh, uh, type offering. 
Well, I mean, let's break this down, right? Uh, we've been talking about GPU computing as if it's all NVIDIA all the time, except then you got Xeon Phi coming in, which is basically the same model. Where does where do you think AMD stands here with this Fire Pro? Well, I mean, it, it is a high-performance chip, It's, uh, but I think we have to remember it's probably less advanced architecturally uh, from a sort of a general-purpose computing point of view than, than what NVIDIA's been doing. I mean, remember, NVIDIA's Tesla line has a lot of support for uh, computing sort of general purpose where you can sort of parallelize different uh, tasks and threads very easily and, and do a lot of sort of tricky things that make it act more like a CPU. Uh, NVIDIA, NVIDIA's invested a lot of time and money in that, whereas AMD is not. So uh, there's a lot of performance here, but um, when you start programming this for applications, you, you might not get the same bang for the buck. Well, it's it's in that programming ecosystem that I think that's where the, the rubber meets the road. I mean, the performance, they, they got themselves right in the game here, where it's the nature of uh, the chip wars that people leapfrog each other in performance all right. the time. What, what NVIDIA has really been focusing on quite appropriately is the CUDA environment, getting that grassroots effort on getting more people programming on these things. So, uh, you know, my Microprocessor performance, users out there are fickle. They'll pop over to whatever gives them the best performance at any moment in time. What I like about the AMD story over the last few years has been it's entrenched uh, in in this idea of open community with OpenCL uh, and uh, and open standards. They got the pass the PathScale compilers on there. I think AMD is really in the game, but they are swimming upstream against the number of people who have already been doing optimization with CUDA. Yeah, they are swimming upstream. I, I think this is actually a, a hard time to get into it with Intel now, uh, you know, announcing it, its follow-on to its, its original uh, Xeon Phi. Um, AMD is going to support OpenCL, which is an open standard, but it's it's considered uh, not as not as advanced in CUDA and, and certainly some of the uh, the open ACC and some of the other open MP models for acceleration. So they have to they have to sort of attract that that community too to start uh, improving performance for that programming model. I will say this: I do think there's an enormous market opportunity for AMD on the CPU and on the GPU side now, as we've seen a lot of the alliances shifting in the server and microprocessor space, uh, as well as the GPU space. There might be some wariness in the end-user community around things that, that lead to vendor lock-in. And if AMD can successfully make the claim that their open standards approach is more flexible for people's development for the future, they could find room to sneak in past Intel and NVIDIA in some percentage of uh, end-user sites. Yeah, I think so. I think they can capture some of that market. I think their bigger opportunity is somehow if they can leverage their CPU side. I mean, they've they've done a little of this by making the hybrid CPU GPUs with the um, the APU the APU chips. But if they can do if they can have a discrete CPU such as this and somehow link it into a, a socket that's compatible with their CPU socket and get a a fast link or something to make a, a more a more performant uh, interface, that could be interesting, too. I, I think there's a lot to leverage there. It's just uh, AMD hasn't, hasn't gone that direction at this point. 
Well, yeah, I, I like the technology. I like the story. If it's true that AMD is really back strategically and they've got a commitment to this space, I think it's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens. They've got a real opportunity here. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's take a quick break, then we'll come back and we'll take the other uh, chip story we got. Catch everyone up on Fujitsu and Spark. Hi, this is Rich from Inside HPC. You know, we run into Addison and Michael all the time at high-performance computing events around the globe, but we know how important these conferences are to you HPC users. If you have an HPC conference coming up, we invite you to add it to our Inside HPC events calendar. It's self-service, so it's super easy to get your conference noticed, and you can then fill up the seats. It's a good value, and did I mention that no salesman will call on you? Check it out at events.insidehpc.com. Okay, Michael, we're back from our break. And also this week in HPC, we were talking about AMD and where they've come from, where they've gotten to in the chip space now. But we got another chip out there. Remember Spark? It's part of the K supercomputer. Fujitsu's still on it. And we've got a new Spark chip on the supercomputing side that's promising to take Fujitsu's uh, next generation uh, prime HPC out to 100, 100 petaflops. Right. Supposedly, with this new chip, they can they can scale up to, to that level. That's which is pretty impressive. The chip itself, in its own right, can perform well. This is peak performance, but it's one teraflop, which is uh, quite good for even even at 32 cores, which is a 32 core chip. It's uh, very performant. It's four times faster than their their previous generation, just by doubling the cores. So that that was a nice jump. Yeah, exactly. So they're talking specifically here. This is the Spark. 6411FX, right. which will go into whatever is the next generation server after the Prime HPC FX10. It's labeled on Fujitsu's material still only as post FX10, so we're still lacking the system here. The previous generation of Spark in the HPC line was the Spark 649FX, so there was a, right. a, a Spark 6410 that went into some enterprise servers, not into the HPC, but that spares us having a Spark 6410FX that goes into the Prime HPC FX10. That would just be way too confusing. So the chip leapfrogs up to the 11. We're waiting to see what the name of the next generation computer will be. Right. It's uh, right. They haven't named that yet, and presumably it'll, it'll come out shortly. We're not even sure the chips are ready yet. They're probably going to talk about this, or they are going to talk about this at Hot Chips next week and, and spec it out. But it looks like they, they've talked to at least some people, and there's, um, there's, they've publicized it online with some, uh, some slides. So there's a lot of information out out on it already. We just mentioned it's it's a very performant chip. They've they've quadrupled the performance from the previous generation, but they also added some other kind of cool features. They're, they've added the hybrid memory cube technology. The 3D memory is going to be part of this chip, and they're also uh, came up with the Tofu 2 interconnect, next generation interconnect, which is integrated onto the CPU itself. Yeah, that increases the amount of bandwidth that these chips have. So you go from the previous interconnect, which was 5 gigabytes 
a second up to 12 and a half gigabytes per second. So it's more than doubling two and a half times the link bandwidth. So they're calling that 12 and a half gigabytes a second. I think the easier way a lot of us would think about that is it's 100 gigabit. Right. Uh, we can relate the 100 gigabit. There's other 100 uh, gigabit technologies out there. Another interesting thing to me here is that it's 32 cores, yes, but that's 32 dedicated compute cores. It's actually 32 plus two. There's two additional cores here that they're calling assistant cores. And what it looks like is that those two cores, it's their job to run the operating system, run some of the MPI, and it keeps you from having operating system jitter on the 32 computational cores. Yeah, that that's a very interesting use of those additional cores. When you have so many cores, you can do something like that. So you can just spare a couple, you can run the OS and, and, and the other one for to, to optimize some MPI functions as well. So uh, you get a lot of mileage out of that, and then you can dedicate the, the full 32 cores just for computing on the application side for the most part. Now, let's talk for a second about this Tofu 2 interconnect. It's it's kind of a, a 6D hypertorus with a Mesh. It's a it's a torus unit that's 3D. It's a two by three by two uh, torus unit, and then you connect those in a mesh to make 6D. It's kind of an interesting uh, interconnect. It presents as a torus uh, from the user point of view, but uh, uh, it's actually a mesh torus, a 6D mesh torus. Right. It's it's what. You would probably only find on a supercomputing type system that most most enterprise systems don't care about that sort of connectivity. But it's very interesting for a capability system such that you'd have with multi-petaflop. Certainly, the other interesting thing to me about this architecture, and this came up as part of the vendor showdown panel when we were at IDC and Fujitsu was presenting, is that they've chosen to continue down a path of one CPU per node. So when you look at how much does an, uh, a memory space or an operating system kernel span, it's one CPU per one node. So you've got the 32 core or 34 core, depending on how you're counting it, right. uh, processor and 12 of those in one chassis, but that's 12 nodes in a chassis. Right. And uh, you know this is interesting to me from a memory bandwidth standpoint. Almost all of the industry is on two CPUs per node. Here, you're down to one. Right. In fact, the and they've shrunk everything, so they actually put three CPUs on a board. But like you say, it's, it looks like just one node per per CPU. So it's just a matter of, of shrinking everything down, and just going with the, the one CPU per node model, which has worked for them. That was that was from the original K system and and the the follow-on system as well. And over 200 nodes in a cabinet, which is 200 CPUs in a cabinet, or 200 times 32 uh, cores in a cabinet. But the the end result of this is when you get to the new post FX10 system, they're able to take an order for a 100 petaflop system as soon as anyone's ready for it. As soon as anyone's ready. Well, they're certainly going to be, you know, probably one of the primes for um, the next generation systems that Japan has been talking about, the ones uh, that are moving towards exascale. Uh, Fujitsu 
there's, there's certainly going to be in the mix there. And, and uh, maybe it's not this ship, maybe it's even the follow-on to this, but they're certainly progressing at, at a rate that would that would meet those requirements. I'm still going to stand by my prediction that I think Japan is the first country to exascale. Fujitsu was the prime vendor there, and I, I think they'll make it by the end of the decade, probably 2019. I, I think they're trying to plan for that. That's their, that's their we choose to go to the moon by the end of the decade uh, statement, right? Uh, yeah. That, that they're going to make it to exascale before anyone else, probably in 2019. Now I'm considering whether they'll also be the first to 100 petaflops substantially before that, maybe as early as next year. Yeah, I, I, that that's a that's a distinct possibility as well, and I, I think the the take home point here is that this vendor is really one of the only system vendors, the other one being NEC, that's making chips specifically designed for supercomputing. I think that that saves time. Everybody else now is in sort of the general purpose CPU business. They use the IP, they share the IP certainly with uh, the CPUs and GPUs we see from Intel, Nvidia, AMD now for those chips. That are going into supercomputers, but none are designed specifically, and that does shorten up the timeline. You can do a lot more. You can uh, squeeze a lot more performance if you know what the end application set is going to be, and I think that's what they're doing here, and I think that's that's why I think your prediction will be the first ones to exascale will, will actually pan out. Well, now that you're changing your tune there, Michael, you used to argue with me and say that China would get there first. Are you con- conceding the argument here to me? Uh, I think China still might get here first as far as... Oh, wait a minute. You just agreed with me. What happened? <laughs> well, China could still build a big system, a brute force system with, with Intel or, or or even maybe their homegrown chips, but those will be general purpose chips. But um, something like this, with uh, this is more custom supercomputer. I think there's they're almost in two different categories, I would say. I think Japan will have sort of the first uh, purpose-built supercomputer that will be specific. Nah, you're hedging. You're hedging. Japan gets it's there first, and I don't even think China is going to be second anymore. I think U.S. is second. China is no better than third. Yeah, I mean that could be. I think China is still well in the mix. Still. Could be, could be. Take a stand, man. Make a prediction. You're an analyst. Well, if we're just talking about flops, I would say Japan first, China second, U.S. third. <laughs> Just just talking flops, yeah. I'm going to record this, Michael. We're going to come back and check in five years and see how you're doing. (laughs) We are recording it, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll figure it out. It won't won't be too long now. We're almost, uh, you know, we're halfway to the end of the decade. All right. Well, uh, Michael, you're going to be at the Hot Chips Conference next week, right? Yeah, I'm going to be at the, at least one of the days there. They're going to be talking about several HPC technologies in one of the days. So yeah, and including the the, the Spark chips, that should be uh, that should be interesting. We'll get some more information hopefully. I'm going to look forward to hearing the full report. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week. But for this week, that wraps up some uh, interesting chip stories. Thanks everybody to tuning in. You've been listening to this week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing, distributed by Inside HPC, news without noise for the high-performance computing professional. For more information, visit intersect360.com and insidehpc.com.